This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Welcome, Talk Catholic, the website.com, your host, Tim Kilcoyne. No agendas here, just the straight and narrow, through Mary to Jesus, the Catholic faith proclaimed and preserved. Hope to see you here every week. TalkCatholic.com with Tim Kilcoin, and we will continue on with our book review, Who Am I to Judge, with Professor Edward Sree in the second half. But I want to continue on relative to recent statements coming out of the Vatican, the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, it is called, relative to blessings of same-sex couples and comments made relative to hell by the Holy Father, not just a few weeks ago in a TV interview. So I'd like to turn to a particular article from the Catholic News Agency regarding this very interview that the Pope gave to Fabio Fazio on January 14th, a Sunday, my birthday actually, I'm sad to say, (laughs) in this particular case, where the Pope explained his comments. He was asked if he, he felt alone quote-unquote. And he quickly replied, sometimes decisions are not accepted, but in most cases when you don't accept a decision, it's because you don't understand. Let's stop right there, ladies and gentlemen. What does that sound like? It sounds like you're kind of too stupid to understand me, so you have to get all hot and heavy and bothered. Talk about insulting, ladies and gentlemen. Is that what he said to Cardinal Burke when he had some very important questions regarding divorced and remarried Catholics without an annulment were now able to receive communion? And Amoris Laetitia, that was the great pronouncement given in that document. We didn't get much clarification there. Cardinal Burke didn't get much clarification. He got clarification recently when he was basically upended uh, his residence, taken away over at the Vatican. Beautiful. It was one of the few times where he actually met with Pope Francis. And that's what happened to him. The dubia, these cardinals, these great men of God who were most faithful to the church's teachings, didn't get the time of day regarding the sixth commandment when he made some off-the-rail comments in Amoris Laetitia. No, I'd like to actually go to a particular article from the University of Notre Dame, hardly known for being a bastion of conservatism, in an article in their Church Life Journal by Paulinus Odazor. He says, from Fiducia Supplicans, the document with these new alterations of blessings, quote, the church must shy away from resting its pastoral praxis on the fixed nature of certain doctrinal or disciplinary schemes, especially when they lead to a narcissistic and authoritarian elitism, whereby instead of evangelizing, one analyzes and classifies others. And instead of opening the door to grace, one exhausts his or her energies in inspecting and verifying. Oh, you can only imagine that that one was used with Cardinal Burke, Bishop Strickland, Father Frank Pavone, and many others. And let's never forget Cardinal Pell and some of the last words that he was trying to utter. Beware, because there is a disdain for anyone thoroughly faithful 
to church teaching. Now, this is the way the Holy Father operates. Taylor Marshall would call it Jesuit gradualism. They don't purposely pronounce anything with clarity. In fact, the purpose is to leave you kind of utterly confused and scratching your head. This isn't Catholic. Or is it? Or could it be? This is exactly the strategy, ladies and gentlemen, of how they go about changing doctrine and dogma and discipline and everything else that they want to change. They don't hold press conferences that are clear and straightforward and certain. No, 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 no. They may go on secular television, always with people most open to your perspective, who might also celebrate ambiguity and leave people, again, up in the air, forever juggling. That's the educational pedagogy, to use the old Jesuit lingo. Now, granted, the Holy Father didn't necessarily write the document, coming from the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, the head being Cardinal Victor Emmanuel Fernandez, but these are his men. These are the Pope's men, his inner circle, who write these documents. So believe me, they don't go out unless they get the imprimatur from the Holy Father, the final stamp of approval. In spite of the fact when there are those trying to be most faithful to the age-old deposit of faith, he just dismisses them as rigid authoritarians, narcissistic. Oh, you mean traditional Catholics that care about the accuracy of the faith for God's people? Let us hear more from Paulinus Odazor from Notre Dame. This document does convey the impression of a disdain for anyone who dares to suggest that there is a problem with the issue of blessings for same-sex couples. Anyone who finds fault with the ruling on this issue is therefore narcissistic, authoritarian, and elitist. But is that really true? The drafters of this text have not done justice to Pope Francis, who has always indicated his approval of healthy theological disputations as an important way to get to the truth of the gospel. Does this same verdict also apply to the 2021 responsum from the same dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, which, in direct opposition to fiducia supplicants, says it is not licit to impart a blessing on relationships, even stable, that involves sexual activity outside of marriage, i.e. outside the indissoluble union of man and woman open in itself to the transmission of life, as is the case of the union of persons of the same sex? Is this statement, which also claims to have been issued after consultation with the Holy Father, also elitist, narcissistic, and authoritarian? Very good question, ladies and gentlemen. Now, they're kind of doing it as you go. What's the world saying? You know, we saw all of this with the acceptance by the Supreme Court of Ogerfell versus Hodges in 2015 in legitimizing civil unions. The Vatican and, and her magisterium is not finger to the wind. We are not listening to where the people are in their sinfulness with their personal private opinions. I think that's called Protestantism, and we kind of dealt with things back around the Reformation days. No, we have a teaching authority that stands the test of time, and this is the greatness of the Catholic faith. You know, it's not based on people. It's based on truth, and that's why it's still here. It's the only institution that's still here the way it always was, the wall against evil. That alone might be miraculous, but a great testimony to the authenticity and credibility of the Catholic Church and the Catholic faith. And I'm sorry, these people are just kind of making it up as they go to accommodate the world and the big tent, 
that we're all under. It's a pathway, as I've said in previous shows, to the Patriotic Church of China. Basically, you could say, I think we've been through this in the Middle Ages when emperors were choosing bishops and that kind of thing. It was just an intermingling of the civil and sacred order to the detriment of Holy Mother Church. No, we don't want to go down that path ever again. We've been there, done that. We have a history that we can look back on as to what were the problems. So let's not spin the wheel. As the document in 2021 responsum says very clearly, put out by this same very dicastery, God does not and cannot bless sin. He blesses sinful man so that he may recognize that he is part of his plan of love and allow himself to be changed by him, which requires repentance on the part of the individual. So again, this goes back to my earlier point and the points that Father Gerald Murray was making in our show last week, referencing his good article on this on thecatholicthing.org, that there is a very big difference between wanting the good for the other, this is what love is, and presenting concrete steps towards that end. That is very pastoral and very loving, very compassionate, very appropriate, versus giving the public approval and therefore scandal to people that we don't know enough about as a Catholic community and Christian community in general to truly know what this blessing is all about. A condescending pat on the head to continue on in your ways. I don't think that's what our Lord said to the adulterous woman. Go and sin no more, were exactly his words. If the woman remained in her ways, do you honestly believe Jesus would just give a casual blessing with zero reproach or exhortation? It's not what would Jesus do, it's what did Jesus do is a pretty good measuring stick for action. So just that alone would say, stop the presses, and the TV interviews. And by the way, this leads me to the next comment that the Pope casually rattled off where he hopes there's nobody in hell, implying that that might be the case, which is really a way of saying he doesn't really believe there is anybody in hell because his concept of hell is not what the Catholic Church has taught for an age-old time period. May I read from an age-old catechism? Oh, how dare we read from older catechisms? 1921, Father Francis Sparago. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, in the Catholic faith, there is continuity from catechism to catechism if it's faithful to age-old church teachings. So regarding that age-old teaching on hell, may we make sure we have this truly correct. The unhappy rich man of the gospel prayed Abraham to send one from the dead to his brothers that they might not come to this place of torments. Luke chapter 26, verse 28. In his discourse on the general judgment, Christ speaks of hell as everlasting punishment. Matthew 25, verse 46. Hell is both a place and a state. The lost are separated from the saints. Matthew 24, verse 51. With good reason, St. John Chrysostom exhorts us not to inquire so much where hell is as to how to avoid it. Hell is a state, and moreover, the continuation of that same state in which the sinner is found at death. Thus, says St. John Damascene, the pains of hell are due not so much to God as to man himself. Since hell is also a state, it is quite clear that the evil spirits may be near to us, 1 Peter verse 8, and even dwell in sinners, Matthew 
22 verse 45. Even the pagans believed in a hell, and the torments of hell are terrible, for the damned never see God. They are in the company of evil spirits and in fire. They endure great anguish of mind, and after the resurrection will have to suffer in their bodies. St. Paul says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. St. John of the Cross teaches us, that as a hundredfold is promised for every sacrifice that is made, so for every unlawful pleasure indulged in, a hundredfold penalty must be paid. St. John Chrysostom applies the words of St. Paul on heaven to describe hell. Neither eye has seen nor ear heard, nor hath it entered the heart of man to conceive what God has prepared for them that love him not. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Christ calls hell an unquenchable fire. Mark chapter 9, verse 44. Because the sensation of burning is the greatest pain which man can conceive on earth. In other places, he speaks of the outer darkness, Matthew 22, verse 13, because the damned never see God, the source of eternal light. It is the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew 8, verse 12, etc., etc., etc. Ladies and gentlemen, the book is ever so explicit, unlike the watered-down versions that we have today, as our leaders try to accommodate to the world. But nevertheless, even though our latest catechism of the Catholic Church, second edition, the teaching remains the same, whatever the language might suggest. Hell exists, and it is a place that people go. And I would remind our Holy Father of the apparition at Fatima, where Our Lady revealed directly to the children that there is a hell. And as Jacinta told us, souls were falling into hell like snowflakes which doesn't sound to me like hell is empty. So as we get ready to listen to part two on who am I to judge as we encounter relativism, I'd like to finish with more words from the great Father Gerald Murray in his book, Calming the Storm, as he is asked the question and first given the comment from Jesus. For this I was born, and this I came into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. John chapter 18, verse 37. To which Pilate responds, what is truth? Increasingly, the very idea of objective truth is becoming seen as offensive and socially unacceptable. Educational institutions have become tools of ideological purification and the texts of the Western canon, and the very idea of informed debate have become unacceptable. How do Christians respond to this weaponized relativism? Father Murray responds, keep proclaiming Christ's truth as taught by his church with complete confidence and conviction that the truth sets us free from error and fear. Relativism is an attempt to evade reality, creating an imaginary reality in which those with social and political power impose their ideas coercively and even violently on the rest of us. By remaining true to our faith, we give witness to reality in its fullness. God's designing hand is found in his creation. Male and female, he does still create them, I would add. His word spoke to us 2,000 years ago and continues to speak to us today through his church. There is found our source of confidence and peace when the world attacks us. Regarding wokeness, how can Catholics possibly withstand or resist this when those whom we once considered allies have now deserted the battlefield, and he's referring to the mainline institutions. 
the church being one of them. Father Murray responds, the collapse of the Western world's cultural and legal Christian inheritance marks the re-entry into pagan brutality. The legal recognition and promotion of previously unspeakable moral vice is now undermining all aspects of moral and family order in the West. Children are propagandized in school and powerful corporations use their influence to promote disordered and harmful behaviors. Those who resist this social and legal revolution are gleefully stigmatized as haters who must not be allowed a voice in the public square. In the West, we will soon be in the same position in which believing Christians found themselves in Nazi Germany and Soviet Russia and in which they still find themselves in communist China. Fidelity to Christ carries a heavier price each day. Father Gerald Murray, and in the spirit of healthy debate for the truth, boy, would I give anything to see Father Murray and the Pope have a sterling discussion of Catholic truth. But in their absence, you've got WQPH 89.3 FM right here, and we'll have our book review coming at you on the other side. Staying in the Valentine's mood, here's a beautiful love song by Kathy Lee Gifford. That's all. So in our last session, we were covering key number four in dealing with relativism, making judgments versus judging souls. And I just can't highlight enough. Be sure you make the distinction. We are at a point in society right now where any moral evaluation analysis is judging. Oh, how intolerant that you actually use your head and your reason and your ability to think about right versus wrong, somehow that is racist or whatever other name calling that they like to do. No, we are our brother's keeper and sister's keeper. We have to show our love for one another if someone is truly doing something harmful 
and it's fairly objective, not only to you, but to others, then it needs to be addressed, it needs to be evaluated, it needs to be acted upon. And that's especially true of the priority to do that within family life. And then next of kin, and then good friends. At some point, you do get to your stranger, who we hope and pray we will all meet in heaven and realize that they were our family all along. But in any event, key number five, relativism is not neutral. Professor Sri says, we live in a pluralistic world. It is commonly said, everybody has their own conception of right and wrong. Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, and Hindus each have their own beliefs about morality. So do secularists, capitalists, communists, environmentalists, feminists, and LGBT activists. Even among Christians, fundamentalists and evangelicals differ from mainstream Protestants, who in turn differ from the Catholic Church on a whole array of moral issues. In a world with so many competing claims to moral truth, how do we know who is right? Relativists like to portray themselves as holding a neutral position. It's better to be open-minded toward all points of view, they say. Since we can't know the truth, no one is right. No one is wrong. All groups can come together under the big tent of relativism. Sound like the Synod on Synodality? Therefore, we should all get along and coexist. At first glance, this seems like a good way to promote tolerance of diverse views, but we must understand very clearly that relativism, in fact, is not value-neutral. Relativism itself is a certain way of looking at the world, and this view, that there is no right or wrong, is being imposed on us. Relativism is itself a point of view, and those who do not agree with this relativistic perspective are being forced to play by its rules or risk being labeled as judgmental if they uphold traditional moral values. Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, once observed, the more relativism becomes the generally accepted way of thinking, the more it tends towards intolerance, thereby becoming a new dogmatism. It prescribes itself as the only way to think and speak, if that is, one wishes to stay in fashion. This leads us to our fifth key to engaging moral relativism. Show how relativism is not value neutral. Professor Sri recommends pushing back. When your friend fires at you, don't be so judgmental or don't be so intolerant. Well, imagine this conversation. Your friend says, don't be so judgmental. Excuse me? Are you judging me? I'm feeling judged right now. Are you saying I'm a judgmental person? Your friend says, oh no, I'm not quite saying that. But you just told me not to be judgmental. Well, when you say something is immoral, it sounds like you are judging others. Look, you're free to believe whatever you want. If you want to believe there's no truth, no moral right or wrong, that's fine. I'll disagree with you, but I still respect you as a person. If you want to have faith in moral relativism and believe that there is no moral order in the universe, you're free to do that. But whatever you do, please do not impose your belief in no truth your belief in relativism on me. Please don't try to make me follow your religion of relativism. Your friend now goes silent. You therefore say, now I have a question for you. Do you really believe that there's nothing at all that is morally wrong for everyone? How about murder, rape, genocide? The benefit of this approach is that it quickly turns the conversation to a fundamental issue. Is there moral truth? Relativists aren't expecting a Christian to play their own don't judge trump card on them. 
And when that happens, it might get them to think about deeper issues, and you might have the chance to have a more rational conversation. Remember, most people's relativism has not been well thought out. You can initiate a conversation that confronts the central issue of relativism, the assumption that each person decides for himself what's right or wrong. This hasn't been proven to you by your relativist friend, and it probably has not been proven to himself in his own head. It is usually only assumed and asserted because that's what's generally accepted in the culture. But now you have the opportunity to raise questions and challenge the relativistic assumptions by using some of the practical points we've been discussing. Well, my mind wants to take a historical tour, but ever so briefly, we're kind of looking at the ultra-net results of the French Revolution which we should remember resulted in the slaughter and martyrdom of thousands of Catholic priests and nuns. Equality, liberty, freedom was the battle cry, the very bedrock foundational values of our country, if I'm not mistaken, but unfortunately if taken to the extreme degree, well, kind of results in what we're talking about. Leave me alone. I'm okay, you're okay. Whatever floats your boat. And this just pretty much makes irrelevant the whole art of debate, where people can arrive at the truth by hearing the positions logically, calmly, confidently put forth. I go back to an old story I might have shared once or twice over the years about being the former debate coach of a Catholic prep school. And at the time, there was a gentleman that I was working with in the theology department. And while having a philosophic and social justice bent, he was by no means a radical. And unfortunately, over the course of many years, he had gone hard left. And then I moved back to the area and got back in touch with him, and we couldn't even talk to each other. I kept inviting and eventually I got nothing. And he's now, the, he's now the speech and debate coach. Oh my goodness. I don't know what they're debating, but it isn't the Catholic faith. Those issues are off the table. In other words, the third part of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is all about morality, is not up for discussion. Forget about debate. And this is a Catholic prep school. No, they don't want to go there. Canceling you is much easier. Similarly, there's an old friend in his late 70s I used to play quite a bit of golf with. And, well, we're struggling to get back to a cup of coffee. And I noticed in retrospect that almost every conversation we ever had, he'd always finish up with, Timmy, there's no right or wrong answer. Just asking a question. Don't worry about it. And finally, I gave him a Merry Christmas and made it very clear. There is indeed a right and a wrong answer. His name is Jesus. And to all Freemasons, Marxists, and relativists, he is the way, the truth, and the life. To which Pilate, the ultimate relativist, did respond, what is truth? We'll keep providing the answers right here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. Spring is around the corner. Have a great week, everyone. Let your light shine. That is what it's all about here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. But we need to hear your story. You want your voice to be his voice. That is making the faith known to others. Please, my number is 877-625-3727. Tim Kilcoin, TalkCatholic.com. Say Mother Teresa told us, your ministry is your work right where you are. Grab on to this microphone. God bless.